Hi. Hello and welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am Will Flannery, also known as Dr. Glockenflecken. I am Kristen Flannery, also known as Lady Glockenflecken. And we are talking about something that's just going to make you smile. Hilarious. And just be happy. We're talking about <laughs> medical debt. Medical Yay! debt. We do. We we have a, a fascinating guest, a very accomplished, amazing person who's uh, the president and CEO of RIP Medical Debt. I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard about this organization, um, uh, which is uh, just buying up all the billions of dollars of medical debt uh, and uh, just writing it out, like for just using donations to pay off the debt. And the, so the patients don't have to do it. Um, and it, it just doing unbelievable work. So we're talking to Allison Sesso. She is the president and CEO of RIP Medical Debt. Uh, we have some experience with medical billing. Well, we sure do, medical debt. Yeah, whenever I, I got, um, uh, when I had my cardiac arrest and got home from the hospital, we started to get all the medical bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, wasn't that fun? They just keep coming and coming, and it's, uh, you know, you don't know which ones you paid, which ones you haven't. What which direction for. they're coming for, uh, which hospital, which ambulance, which, I mean, there's only one ambulance, Imaging but company. which companies, yeah, yeah. Just, like, they just come from everywhere. All over the place. And it's so confusing. Yep. And you get the explanation of benefits. Right, which is not a bill, but looks like a bill. It says not a bill. It says not a bill. It, it does look like a bill, though. Yeah. And you get it like eight times. Yeah. They keep sending it I to you. I don't know why that happens. I don't like, know. Are they making adjustments? Our our recycling bin was full for quite a while after <laughs> well, that. I filed those, but sure. Oh, not all of them. Not the ones I got to. Oh, boy. I just shredded <laughs> those things. And, oh, boy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, now you tell I'm, me. I'm not the best uh, record keeper, uh, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, we. I had a lot of surprise billing, mm-hmm. and that's something we... we I don't know if I don't think we touched on it too much. Uh, in, we kind of mentioned it, but, but yeah. yeah, surprise billing is um, we talked about it in the context of the No Surprises Act, which was right. a piece of legislation that went into effect January of 2022, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, that outlawed the practice of surprise billing. So what happened to me when, which was in May of 2020, so prior to yes, surprise, prior no to act. prior to the act uh, being passed, um, I when I had the cardiac arrest, the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Took me to an in-network hospital. Yeah, that was nice of them. Very nice. But some of the doctors in that hospital mm-hmm. were out of network. Right. Because I didn't check before yeah. I died. Right. That was that was that pretty irresponsible big, of you, honestly. Big mistake. Yep. Uh, and so I got like tens of thousands of dollars of, of charges that insurance like, nope, sorry, out of network, can't right. cover it. And uh, yeah. I was like, oh, I was unconscious. What was it going to do? Right. And so and it was like a nine month process to eventually get them to, you know, forgive the debt or I don't know what they did. But yes. uh, well, and uh, at the same time that you were experiencing that issue, we were also working on I was having a medical billing issue where about four months before your cardiac arrest, I had had a cervical disc replacement and I had done my due diligence to make sure, you know, got all the prior authorizations, make sure it was all good to go with the insurance company before we had the surgery. Cause I, unlike you was not unconscious, you know, I had time to prepare. Right. So went through all the, all the cross 
the T's and dot the I's and then turned out when I, you know, got the bill, the insurance company said they were going to pay for exactly zero dollars mm. of that surgery. It's a low so... percentage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a problem. So we were doing both those bills at the same time. It was pretty stressful. <laughs> yeah, that was it was it was bad. And 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 it was it was stressful and confusing for us. And like I, I kinda I kinda know my way around the the healthcare you know, right? You're you're on the inside. I'm on the inside part of it, not uh, the billing part, though. But but still, it was, it was a little bit easier. I feel like yeah. for me compared to someone who's not right. not in medicine at all and is just experiencing you know this for the first time. You know, so and it's just awful what we put people through. And uh, and so it was it was great to talk to Allison about just something that's being done to help. You know, yeah. and and it's we talked about you know that you know forgiving the debt and and paying off the debt is is great but also a lot of other work needs to be done to like fix the things that's leading to all this right. debt and so um that's yeah. kind of a band-aid yeah. for this this broader issue but it is a really very effective awesome band-aid, band-aid. Yeah. yeah yeah so they're up over 9 billion dollars now of medical debt that they have paid off and yeah. uh just millions and millions of people that have benefited so yeah, a really interesting model yeah. too that they use to to do that. So Great definitely so let's, stick around. Check we're it out. excited for you to hear this uh, interview, and so let's get to it. Here is Allison Sesso. All right, we are here with uh, Allison Sesso, uh, president and CEO of RIP Medical Debt. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you for being here. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and um, you know we're we're talking about a, a just quite an uplifting topic today. Um, <laughs> medical debt—it's hilarious. Yeah, but but it's also such an important one, and and something that you know for the past like year and a half, I've been talking a lot about is just the healthcare and you know um, healthcare system, insurance industry, everything. So this is a. Uh, I think a lot of people will be very interested in this topic, um, and so I first off just want to ask you if, if you could just give us a scope of the problem of just medical debt in general what just put it into context for people what are we talking about here yeah well in the united states over 100 million people have uh, medical debt uh, so it's pretty substantial and the to the tune of at least 195 billion dollars of medical debt so it is a big problem in the united states of america I can't even fathom that number. Yeah, that's that's, that's actually, too big. I didn't I didn't realize it was that much because I saw on because you're on Twitter. That's that I've seen your your Twitter account and kind of followed you know some of the. Um, I believe you mean X. Oh, sorry. Oh my gosh, X the X account. That's right. It's no longer Twitter. That's right. I can't keep up. Um, and I I just saw is about a month ago. R.I.P. Medical debt just passed by like the nine billion dollar mark. Yeah. And my my initial reaction was, oh, okay, well, uh, that's got to be like all the medical debt, right? That's it. <laughs> like, how much more could there possibly right. be? Yeah, it's really uh, it's a small dent, I feel like, in in a large problem. But for those people that we're helping, I think it's really a significant dent that they need to have happen. But yeah, we're actually, I think we're gonna hit ten billion next month. Oh my gosh! Wow. So it's it's just like kind of exponentially growing in terms of uh, um, you know the exposure and and people learning about what you do. And uh, I want to get into the, the process for how 
RIP medical debt works because it's it's totally unique. It's very interesting. Uh, first, how did you get into this position? I'd, I'd like to hear kind of a little bit more about your background. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about it. So I'm a, I'm a Queens girl. I'm from Queens, New York. That's where I'm, I'm calling in from right now. Um, I did a lot of my work uh, working in social services in New York City. So I actually represented social service providers, uh, about 200 of them that provide various social services, everything from the homeless, uh, feeding the homeless, to housing the homeless, to uh, providing aftercare for kids, helping seniors, all those good things. Um, but a lot of social services are really cleaning up the mess of broken social programs or social situation systems. And um, so I was there for a long time and it was you know, sort of time for me to find something new. And this thing came across my desk that this group, RIP Medical, that was looking for, you know, a, a new head. And I, I thought, oh, what is that? Because medical debt is an issue that is obviously an economic issue. But it's also clearly a broken healthcare financing issue. And it's sort of the same people that I'm helping, if you will, right? Like if I was right. representing these people that are getting social programs and getting a lot of help through social programs, medical debt is an issue that they're dealing with. But what I thought was so cool was the return on investment. I mean, $1 gets rid of $100 of medical debt in this model. And so I, you know, I, I had a conversation with uh, the headhunter and learned a little bit more about the history. And it was a very new organization. We're not even 10 years old. I came here about four years ago. Uh, they were at the time looking to abolish about a billion dollars of medical debt it was like their big audacious goal. And now we're, you know, close to 10. Um, and so I, I, you know, I looked at the organization, I looked at the, the opportunity and I thought, you know, this is another way I could spend my time and my energy and it's national in scale. And I can like say something about this issue in the process. Like I'm not just going to relieve medical debt. I'm going to like scream from the rooftops. Like I shouldn't have a job relieving medical debt. We shouldn't have this problem in the country. <laughs> like hey, while right. I'm doing it because I'm really a policy wonk at heart. And a lot of the work I did for social services was not like I wasn't delivering the services. I was representing those organizations and lobbying government really hard to try to give them better resources to do their jobs better and like raising those issues effectively. And so I thought I could do the same thing here. And it turns out we can. Yeah. So you mentioned that every one dollar contributed gets rid of a hundred dollars of medical debt and to just me as a general layperson that sounds like monopoly math so can you tell me how that works exactly <laughs> it doesn't sound like it should, yeah. sound like it should make sense right? i know and that's why everyone's like are you for real you're a scam like it's a whole like mountain we have to climb constantly um yeah so i mean this is it took i'll be honest i took the shop i didn't understand it either i was like what how does that happen so i yeah. get it. but i've become good at i think explaining it but you'll tell me right now so basically there is a market for medical debt like it exists and not not only for medical debt by the way for other kinds of debt the united states of america everything's a commodity in one shape or form right so uh, medical debt is no different and there are for-profit debt buyers that will go to a hospital or other healthcare provider and take all their bad debt and say, you know, and name a price to buy it all. But in order for that to be profitable, the price they pay has got to be dirt cheap because the people that are owing the debt that they would collect from don't have the money. It's like getting blood from a stone, right? So they don't have the money. So they make the price super low, literally pennies on the dollar to make it profitable and worthwhile. So they basically make it a, a dirt cheap offer, but to the provider who's already probably tried to collect or made a couple of a collection attempts and got nowhere, 
its value, especially in a collective amount for all the bad debt, you're getting something. It could be a million dollars for $300 million worth of debt, but that's a million dollars you didn't have and that you were just sitting on this bad debt. So you make the deal and you know you you sell it. And then the debt collector's like, great, anything I make above a million, I have 300 million worth of attempts to try to harass people, uh, take them to court, do whatever I got to do to get my money's worth. And so anything above a million is, you know, is profit. Right. And so we take advantage of that market that it exists, except we are not trying to make any money back. We are just trying, we're flipping, flipping the script completely. And we're just taking donated dollars. People Mm -hmm. actually care about medical debt and want to see us succeed. And they make donations to us. And then we send letters to people and say, we bought your medical debt just like a debt buyer, but you are free and clear of the debt. And we would never, ever collect on any of the debts. Our mission is to get rid of debts. And we are for nonprofit 100%. Right. So you buy it for cheap because there's that market and then donations cover that cheaper price. And the the individuals are free of it. That's awesome. I think it probably surprises a lot of people to hear like buying the medical debt. Because yeah. I, I think a lot, and I, I, I probably thought this, I, in fact, I know I thought this for quite a while, just even as a physician, that, you know, if things were sent to collection, it was just like, okay, this is now, I'm just giving this. I think a lot of people assume that that it's just given to the collection agencies. Right, that you're still paying the hospital back and the collection right. agency is like a middleman that's felic- that's facilitating. I didn't realize for a long time that it was actually the collection agency that's purchasing yeah. the debt Well, itself. it depends, actually. So that's, there's, not a, there's not a hard and fast rule on this. A lot of hospitals, so not all hospitals do sell their debt. In fact, a minority do. So I want to be clear about that. Um, but mm. there are enough hospitals that a market exists. Um, so that, that's how we establish that. But there are a lot of collections agencies that do just get a percentage of what they collect and then do not own uh, the debt. So it's the, but then this is part of the problem, frankly, like it's opaque to the patient. That's right. Yeah. It's like, this why it's, it's so confusing. It's because there's no hard and fast rules and you don't know who owns your debt. Right. Right. And then my other, another question I have is how are, how do hospitals, and I guess, you know, any kind of private practice, anybody that uses collection agencies and they're selling this debt for pennies on the dollar, how, how, is, how is that? You mentioned like, okay, if it's like $300 million in debt, you're, you're at least getting something back. But I still don't understand how that can, how hospitals can like stay afloat by, by just basically by getting, getting such a small yeah, exactly. <laughs> just what they're is, is it supposedly just owed because prices are so high that they I mean, how is I'm, I'm, the, the financial just doesn't seem to quite make sense. What I've learned is that hospital financials are not for the average person to understand. <laughs> and that is why, honestly, like I get the pricing transparency conversations and why people want that. But you can't shop for healthcare. I mean, it's just not a reasonable thing that we expect of people. How would you know what's a reasonable price for a, you know, gallbladder surgery or heart, you know, I don't know, name anything. It's, it's not, it's not reasonable to expect people to be able to shop for these things. And what I've learned is hospitals pricing is not based on like what it actually costs them. It's what they like. And that's, and that's like, because that there's this middleman that pays for most of it, which is the insurance company. So it's convoluted how the pricing works at hospitals in the first place. And yes, frankly, they have to take if their their accountants have to take into account the fact that they're not going to get paid anything for a lot of the care that they provide. 
So the higher prices are building in a loss. And that's mm, just real. I and I don't think, you know, you can expect as a first patient that goes to a hospital for your price to be based on what the hospital expenses are for your particular surgery. They're basing the price on their total costs, I think, in a lot of ways. And so that's, I think, the concept that is foreign to most people and that aren't in, you know, revenue cycle, which I'm right. not. But I've no, learned but... from somebody on my team who is amazing, Ruth Landay, who like knows all this stuff. And she's that's why she is in charge of talking to all of the hospitals where we get the debt from, because she understands how they think and how they set prices and, and how the sort of system works a little bit more intuitively than your average yeah. person. But that's why consumerism in healthcare just doesn't work. It's so funny, too, because people think of, um, you know, universal healthcare or, or models like that, um, you know, that's one of the problems they have with it is they don't want to pay for other people's health care or whatever, but they are anyway. Correct. They are. <laughs> Even and in the also consumers through model. subsidies. Through go- I mean, through our tax dollars, government subsidies for health insurance and for medic, you know, for all that stuff. We are paying plenty of for health care. So medical debt is a marketplace. Is there a lot of competition in this marketplace? Right. Like, are you... It's not like you can just like go online and find a cheaper price somewhere else, right? Like it's not like you're going to Costco for paper towels. Are you fighting for medical debt like with other like debt collectors? We're not. We actually do actually buy it directly from 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 um, debt collectors as well. So we have we bought by both directly from hospitals and from what we call the secondary market, which is the the debt buyers. And the reason why we're not in competition with them, as far as I'm concerned is because of the fact that we're a totally different business model. Like we're not trying to make money back and we're actually focused on the low income individuals more so than anybody, which is by far the majority of people in the files. Um, but they te- they technically want the people that do have means, right? I mean, that's for their business model. Mm-hmm. People at the high end are more attractive. Well, for us, like the lower end people are more attractive. So it, I don't see it on one-to-one comparison. Hmm. Well, well, I... I... You know, I wish you could get all the medical debt and, and have the funds to to forgive it all. But uh, uh, at least that's that's good. That I guess as long as these other organizations, these they you know are getting the the debt off their books and they're getting something back for it. That's probably all they they you know really care about. Um, and I don't know if that's true. I think that that in terms of the hospitals, at least, or the providers that sell it to us. Honestly, they're not in it. Most of them are not in it because of the money. They do recognize that medical debt is inherently a part of the system and hmm. hard for them to solve individually. And they see it as a like a community benefit. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I don't know. This, this, like you said, it's all very complicated, but I think, you know, there's maybe different levels of of roles at the hospital that that care about different things. And I think certainly at the provider level, you know, just from knowing you and other, you know, physicians that we've met along the way through med school and just mm-hmm. everything, most people get in it because they want to help people. They want to heal people. Um, so I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody somewhere who who is really caring about the bottom line, but I think the majority of people in the healthcare system are trying to help people. Absolutely. And I think what's happening is medical debt is getting in the way of people trusting the healthcare system. And it's really, really a big problem that we need to pay better attention to. I will say one of the things we do when we work with hospitals is when we're done doing the medical debt relief. So we have a feedback loop. We have an anthropologist on our team whose job it oh, is cool. to talk to those who benefit it. <laughs> That's great. It's yeah. to capture, right? It's like to capture, like, what are these stories? What are the common themes 
We actually have a qualitative database we're building up, all this stuff so that we can understand the issue of medical debt sort of more concretely. And so she does this great thing where we create a, a venue of stories that of individuals with their pictures and what it meant for them to have the medical debt we need that we give back to the hospitals or other providers. And they then share that oftentimes with their teams, like their clinicians, who are thrilled and they feel great about where they work. And so it ends up being actually like a retention tool for them. Mm. Oh, interesting. That's, interesting. That's very cool. Yeah, I think that actually we physicians, as we're going through education and training, we're a little bit too insulated from this world. And, and that's a big problem. Like I didn't really grasp a lot of like the health insurance industry and kind of what goes into billing and, and medical debt, uh, you know, until I was a patient, I started to experience it myself. And, uh, then that's a big problem. And so I think, you know, Kristen, you're right. Like we're, we're, we're always so focused on, like, we just want to we just want to treat people, help people treat disease, all these things, but we can't separate it from the 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 healthcare industry, and it's just becoming uh, more complicated. And there's more problems, not just related to medical debt. Well, everything that goes into it, you know, from you know claim denials and prior authorizations and all this stuff. Well, people aren't going to follow up on your advice. Separated. I mean, they're not going to follow up on your advice, right? Because they're going to realize yeah. how much it's going to cost them. I mean, if yep. I've heard our stories where uh, the the nurse is trying to like give an IV or, you know, somebody like in the emergency room and they're like, wait, wait, what is this going to cost me? I mean, I can't even imagine if someone's like in the middle of a crisis and you're trying to help them and they're resisting it because they're worried about, you know, what it's going to cost them. I mean, it's just, that's not what you, what you signed up for is, is I think your point. Yeah, right. exactly. What are, what do you recommend that patients do? when they're, they have medical debt, like what is, do you have anything that you've learned through this, through being in the position you're in this industry? What advice would you give to a patient with medical debt? To push back. I mean, that's the other thing. Unfortunately, it's the system is set up so that you have to like advocate for yourself and you have to push back. So if you have it, that you can negotiate it down. You can find out from your insurance company if they're trying to deny it. You can, you know, so there's just, just don't just pay what you owe, like go and have conversation with everyone you can, your insurance company. If you're, if you didn't have insurance, like maybe you can sign up for Medicaid retroactively. It depends on where you live. Like there's different things you can do, but I also hate that that's my advice. Honestly, I sort of feel like it's like analogous to like, why'd you wear that short skirt? Like, yes, right. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like, like it's not the person's fault. And, and right. honestly, there's also like, racism built into that. Like we yeah. know that black people do not get the same deals when they negotiate for buying a car or anything else as or white women or women. Exactly. And so it's inherently flawed that that's our expectation, both right. that you're a consumer and that you should be negotiating. Like it feels so disconcerting and gross. It's just not okay. Yeah. And these are people who are in a very vulnerable position. They're very sick. They may not, you know, they may have very limited energy. I mean, depending on what the illness is and what the debt was for, like to spend, you know, their their precious energy and their mental, you know, and emotional capacity when they're already dealing with something like a disease or, or something. It, I mean, it just is. Well, and to me, that just feels evil. Yeah. And like stress is great for healing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything we know need. <laughs> about how the body works and what it needs. We're doing all the wrong things for patients in this case. Yeah. Oh, it's so frustrating. How can people find out 
what their options are because I think, you know, speaking as patients ourselves, it there's not it's not like there's a handbook somewhere, right, that that tells you what you can do. It feels very scary to receive a medical bill because, you know, it just seems so official and it's it's hard to understand and it's complicated and there's not like a, you know, an itemized list of all the things and what you're paying for them. So how do you know where to go? Do, do you have resources for people to understand how they can push back? Well, so we don't really specialize in that. And honestly, I'm not a big fan of trying to do too many things because you, <laughs> I feel like you can do, you know, one thing really well, which is what we do and, yeah. and you know, not do or do a bunch of things sort of have to have a That's not my, right. my approach. Right. So we do not you know, try to be too helpful with individuals um, on purpose, right? But there are groups like Dollar Four, which I'd recommend people look at, um, that do help people navigate financial assistance programs at hospitals and help them push back and have a lot of resources. There's like the National Consumer Law Center, which has great resources. So there's lots of organizations that provide resources um, to the consumer, if you will, facing patient about what their options are. It also, frankly, varies state to state. So yeah. that's the other thing, you know, but there are financial counselors. There are resources available and out there to help people. But I do have to say, you do have to look for them. And your state, your state health authority or your state health association can can also be a big, um, big benefit. I've, I've reached out to them on, on my behalf and some of my patients' behalf before. So it's that's another. What are another... they? What can you Google to see? If you're just a, a oh gosh lay person, I mean, like your state health association, yeah, like, for, yeah, like like Oregon Health Authority. Like, there's always every state uh, has like I don't know if they call it a health authority, but there's those types of resources out there. Yeah, like Department of Health. You could yeah, usually, Department of just, Health like, or whatever. I think you could just say like Department exactly. of Health at your state, and then may, maybe right like yeah, medical they do that, have resources for sure. Yeah. Now you mentioned that the. When you came on, the the initial goal for RIP medical debt was $1 billion. Okay, well, you've achieved that goal pretty handily. <laughs> so what's the, like, where where are you going now? Like, what's what's the, I mean, what would you say, $190, $160 billion? $195 in, billion. $195 billion. Oof. All right. And so I guess, I, I guess your goal is $195 billion now, right? <laughs> I mean, like, I what mean, is I it? What's yeah, the next it, step here? It's a really good question. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we are going to keep help. I mean, yes, we've done 10 billion compared to 995 billion. That's not, you know, that's that's a, not a lot, right? Oh, but it I, is, I mean, but, no, it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Well, it is. <laughs> I was going to say. It's, the, so, so it's I incredible. Think our, our goal is to help as many people just as keep we going. can yeah. and just keep going. And But in the process, like, I don't, I want to put ourselves out of business, honestly. I right. really want us to fundamentally, and not, and by the way, not necessarily by getting rid of all the medical debt through our, our approach. I want to do it because I want there to be a better solution, bigger solution, right. more systemic solution to this problem that doesn't require us to be in existence. I mean, maybe it's we solve it in a more fundamental way or for a lot more people, and then we, you know, just work on what's left. You know, something like that would be fine. Uh, but I, I, that's why we've sort of very intentionally invested in this anthropologist, which I mentioned, to tell the stories of the individuals so that we're pointing to the system and not the individual. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a personal failure. The system is set up against you very clearly. Uh, right. for you, to, you know, you could do everything right and still absolutely end up in medical debt. Uh, in fact, most people do. 
Uh, you can't, insurance are, is out of reach for a lot of people. Like the premiums are too high for the plans that don't have high deductibles. So a lot of people are underinsured. That's what we're finding is that we've solved sort of the insurance problem. Like over 90% of people now finally have insurance after um, the ACA passed, you know, the Obamacare, mm -hmm. also known as. Um, but still, a lot of people end up in medical debt because they have uh, high deductibles. So there's a lot of things that I think are going on. So for us, really focused on telling those stories. We have a public policy team now whose job it is to engage. I was just in, um, in Biden's company recently because he announced some stuff about junk policies and uh, having limits on uh, Medicare, out-of-pocket prescriptions. And so there's, there's all this stuff that I think is, is, could be done to tighten up the situation that we have now. And that's what we're focused on is really trying to tell this bigger story and make medical debt a prominent issue that people are grappling with. So the political pressure is there for bigger changes beyond us. And yes. in the meantime, get as much medical debt gone as possible. Couldn't agree more. I think yeah. the personal narratives are so important, especially on social media, because because you can have a story that goes viral and just gets the attention of people. Uh, that uh, that says, you know, look how big this problem is. And and there have been some legislative wins, like the, the No Surprises Act. So that was, a, you know, a, a pretty big deal that went into effect last year. Uh, and um, and I know the FTC is like, you know, really starting to look at these vertically integrated health insurance companies and some of the practices. And and so, um, you know, but I, I totally agree with you. I think uh, just getting getting stories out there and, and just reaching more of the public, making them aware does put pressure on, on some of these companies that are enacting these policies that lead to 195 billion in medical debt. Yeah. Yeah. Number. Do you guys do anything directly, you know, working, I don't know, with or lobbying against, I guess, or I don't know what the, Appropriate How many enemies be, have you made? The insurance companies <laughs> is what I am getting at. Because even if you have insurance, you know, we have learned that they deny just in batches, right? They just mass deny things. Um, and people don't always know that you can appeal that or they, they don't know how to appeal it. Um, do you do anything on, on that front too? Uh, yeah. So basically, I think our philosophy overall is that we actually want people to continue to engage in this conversation. I think making enemies is not a good approach to getting no. people to seriously <laughs> talk about this issue. Um, honestly, I mean, how I see this problem is like <laughs> hospitals also get beat up left and right, right, about medical yeah. debt, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. a lot of times for good reason, as do insurance companies for good reason. But they're not, on either side, they're not all bad actors either. The, the system has incentivized them to do exactly what they're both doing. Um, right. However... They're, you know, they're, they are at odds with each other and they point fingers at each other. And then the patients, it's like this tubbleware going on with the patients smack in the middle of it. And that's the problem that I see. So we go after both if, if it's appropriate, but we also don't go after both in, in that unreasonable way. Uh, we're thoughtful about, you know, a lot of hospitals are trying to do the right thing. A lot of insurance companies are trying to do the right thing. A lot of them aren't. So when we some, see something that's problematic, we'll call it out. But at the mm -hmm. same time, we want to highlight good practices that are happening and try to have a reasonable conversation because, frankly, you know, politically, they're both big lobbies. So if they don't get on board with something that wants to change, then it's not going to happen. I hate to say it, but that's the truth. Like there's it's really hard to get beyond the lobbying power that both hospitals and insurance companies have. 
So if we're going to mm-hmm. see progress, we need to make sure that we're moving them in a direction and being politically smart and strategic that gets them on board with changes. And that sometimes means taking time, but I think we can get there. Agreed. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, Chris, you know what this is? Stethoscope. Uh, yeah, it's not just any stethoscope. It's the Echo Core 500 digital stethoscope with three lead ECG. That's pretty they, fancy. I didn't even know they could do that. They've combined yeah. the ECG, the little yeah. tracing thing. The danger squiggles. Yeah, the danger into a stethoscope. And, That's and, pretty handy. And it's it's also got 40 times noise amplification, noise cancellation, and also a fancy little uh, uh, display right oh, here. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's so cool. And so, uh, honestly, if I had something like this in med school, like I would not have uh, been yelled at by as many cardiologists mm, as That I would was. have been nice. Yeah, it would have mm-hmm. been really nice. Uh, we have a special offer for our U.S. listeners. Visit echohealth.com slash KKH and use code NOC50 to experience Echo's Core 500 digital stethoscope technology. That's E-K-O health slash K-K-H and use NOC50 to get a 75-day risk-free trial and free case and free shipping with this exclusive offer. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology that really helps to improve the patient-physician relationship, which is something I'm sure that you would probably want, right? Oh, yes, definitely. To learn more about how DAX can help reduce burnout and restore the joy of practicing medicine, stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. All right, we're back with Allison Sesso, president and CEO of RIP Medical Debt. Uh, you brought, we always ask for stories from our guests, and you have a couple of good ones. Now, you're in, you've been in leadership positions, and, and you know, there's an ongoing theme in, like, uh, you know, humor in medicine. I've I've touched on it a lot, and a lot of people do and make fun of of you know executives and kind of people in charge for some of the less than helpful solutions that they present for certain problems. And one of your stories you sent us highlights that to a T. So why don't you go ahead and tell us? Yeah, I'm happy to, although it, it sort of brings back some crazy memories, but <laughs> boy, um, so I was the deputy executive director, so right behind the executive director, um, and and I was working at this uh, association of, of nonprofit human service organizations in New York City, as I mentioned, um, and we were facing a budget fall. And, uh, this was a small organization, you know, no more than eight people, I think, uh, and we were discussing in a, in a meeting with the full team. Uh, what we might do about that budget shortfall. And, you know, we were actually talking pretty seriously because we could have had furloughs in front of us, you know, so people having to actually lose money. And it was a, you know, you could feel like the weight of the heaviness in the room. And the executive director, like, suddenly, like, snaps his fingers and you can almost, like, see the light bulb falls in his head. And he's like, I have a great idea. And so everyone's like, great, like, thank goodness, right? So he begins to explain that he was just talking to this woman in his synagogue about these great kazoos she had whittles and how we could have her whittle kazoos with our logo on them and sell them. And oh, what? Oh, yeah. man. I was like, this like a, like, a, like a bake sale. You know, I was like, what? And, I, and like, 
<laughs> we, I honestly thought I was going to faint or like throw up. It was like terrible. And, you know, I just noticed that everyone in the room obviously was deflated and like, oh, like yeah. this is our leader. And so, yeah, it shows oh, you like boy. leadership matters. A lot. Yeah. How, is, how is the hand-carved kazoo market these With days? With the logo, no less. That the... really just, like, <laughs> adds insult to injury. Right. Like, everyone will want one of these things with our logo on it, right? Right. Oh, man. Exactly. It was, it was pretty... Uh... I, I still, I to this day, I remember that moment, and I was just like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. Oh boy. Well, that, that's probably a good lesson for old people that you experience something like you're like, "Okay, this is what not to do." Like exactly. whenever you're in this position, probably helped you out down the road. Um, How many kazoos do you have to sell to make one full time position? I, I wonder. Exactly. I was like, <laughs> yeah. "What are we going to become kazoo salesmen?" I, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm a big fan of the kazoo too, but come yeah. on. Uh, and then you, you also have a, a story that um, really speaks to me as a as a self-proclaimed Internet comedian ophthalmologist. Um, and, and actually, the, the history of RIP medical debt, it, John Oliver, uh, he did a story, I think he did, like an episode yes, that yes, was centered on medical debt huh? and probably raised your profile um, quite a bit. Uh, and it, it, it speaks to this idea of using humor to get your, your point across. Uh, and I know that's something that you have employed at times as well, right? Exactly. Um, I, I, I think humor is a really good tool for getting a serious point across it. And, you know, John Oliver, I think is exact example of how that's done well. Uh, so I was now the executive director of this kazoo same organization. So obviously that was a great same group, but I was the executive director now. Um, was that related to the kazoos? No, or? I mean, that, yeah, we moved on. We moved, we moved yeah. on. I think that was... <laughs> that guy's point. not there anymore, well, so no, you're exactly. in charge. Now I was in charge. Um, <laughs> thank goodness. Um, but so there's the same, you know, association, and um, the ma vast majority of these nonprofits get their funding from government contracts, and the government contracts are not good. They underfund them by a long shot. And so our job was to represent them and point out all the inadequacies in the government contracts and funding. Um, but, you know, this is a group that isn't a very powerful lobby in general, right? So it's kind of hard to get government's attention and be a priority. So I had this idea to uh, tell this story using humor. Um, and I said exactly what you said. I said, let's channel our, our inner John Olivers on this one. And um, we had this. So I actually interviewed a number of potential uh, media supports like to help us tell the story and write the script and all of them thought it was crazy and we're like no that's not gonna work nonprofits don't do this you're big risk <laughs> but i found this one group key ideas and they were like totally got it and we're like yes we would love to do this please hire us so it was a match made so we had like an owner of a made-up pizza place be treated similarly to like a social services provider experience like with government how they treat them and so a lot of people, you know, were like, this is really not going to work. And then we decided to view it even worse. I really raised the stakes at our, our event, like our fundraising event with like 300 people there, which was all the providers that get these crappy contracts, plus the government leaders like commissioners, et cetera, wow. like the deputy mayor for health and human services that give out and responsible for this. And we aired it and... It was a huge hit. People loved it. It's, it's on YouTube. Awesome. It's called Everyone Deserves a Fair Slice. It's huge hit. And it led to policy change. The government actually started taking overhead rates, which is the most boring topic in the world, you know, to normal people, but really important to nonprofits seriously and made some policy changes that changed things. So, you know, I think you've got to use humor well and take risks. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. People, if you're listening, you, you got to understand, like, there's no laughter in the government, like, ever. <laughs> right. And so if you could just inject a little bit of humor and just make some people smile and laugh, oh, you'd have no idea how far that's going to go. So good on you for taking the leap of faith and, and putting that out there. I think humor also is a really good vehicle for highlighting the absurdity of yeah. issues, oh, yeah. you mean, know, that yeah. of even serious issues where uh, we can get caught up in just arguing about the the details or the, you know, bottom line or whatever, but just to to be able to put it into a, a pizza place like that just <laughs> yeah. really highlights how absurd it all and is. And we I did a similar one. We did a similar one at RIP recently called The Collector, which does like a Netflix series on revenue cycle folks. So that I think is also <laughs> I watched that one. worth checking out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I keep good. Very you know, well using done. it. Thank you. Very Thank well you. done. All right. Well, uh, let's let's get to our little this. Uh, we're going to play a game. It's called State of Debt. State of debt. I just want to do this to just highlight, put it on a little bit, maybe a little bit more personal level for people listening, the scope of this problem. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to switch between uh, you, Allison, and, um, and Kristen. So Kristen, you'll go first. So this is, this is a matching game. Okay. It's a matching game. So I'm going to give you three states and three numbers. Okay. The uh, numbers are the percentage of individuals in a given state with medical debt collections on their credit file. Okay. Okay. Like they currently owe money. Okay. That they have a medical debt collection in their credit file. So it's there, it's affecting them. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is coming from, by the way, the 2022 U.S. Government's Consumer Financial Protection Bureau report. So this is okay. like official, official official stuff here. All right. So, Kristen. Ready. All right. So, um, Again, I'm a, th these are I'm just giving you these random three states and then the three percentages, and you tell me which state matches up with the percentage. Okay. Okay. So the three states we have Louisiana, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania. Okay. Okay. The percentages I'm gonna round round these off a little bit. Two percent, ten percent, twenty-two percent. Okay. Uh, two, ten, and twenty-two. I'm gonna go Louisiana twenty-two. Pennsylvania 10, Minnesota 2. Very good. You Is that got right? it. That's correct. Oh, wow. I was going to do the same. That's great. Yep. <laughs> yep. Very good. Yep. Minnesota is 2.25%. Pennsylvania is 10.4%. And Louisiana is 21.8% of people have medical debt in their credit file. That's. That's a scary that's, number. That's yeah. not taking up the, the the Medicaid expansion. That's what happens. Oh yeah. Uh, that that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right, uh, Allison. So. Your three states, South Dakota, West Virginia, Wyoming, okay? Your percentages, 4%, 18%, 25%. Okay. Ooh. Uh, South Dakota, West Virginia, Wyoming. Let's say. Um, okay, I'm going to go West the Virginia. The stakes are high here. I know. I don't know if I'm going to get this right. I'm going to go West, literally... West Virginia, 25, Wyoming, 4, and South Dakota, 18. Actually, no. West Virginia, you got right. South Dakota is at 4.4%. And Wyoming is at 18%. Wow. Okay. I'm yeah. noticing a, a Midwestern trend here. Yes. Yeah, so Midwest, Midwest is kind of low. It's only South, end of South, two, Dakota, South Dakota is Midwest. I would consider that midwest We're, We might get some people that are angry at us for no calling planes, South Dakota but, Midwest. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe midwest it is. Who knows? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I was surprised by that too. I, I guess I, I would have had, I probably would have had it uh, the way you had it, Allison. Okay. That makes um, me feel okay. better. Thanks. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, you know, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. <laughs> okay. So uh, round three. Let's 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 actually let's stick with Allison on this one, and then we'll have Kristen do round four. So here are the three states: Maine, Oregon, and Texas. Oh, Maine. I see why you you gave this one to her. <laughs> Maine, Oregon, and Texas. I've lived in two of those three states. That's right. Um, all right. The percentages are 21, 16, and 5. Okay. Um, Maine, 5, Texas, 21, and Oregon, 16. It's Oregon, 5. Ooh. Maine, 16, Texas, oh. 21. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Maine, Maine is higher than I, I, I yes, thought it would be. My, Maine, too. Yeah. Obviously. But maybe there's a maybe it's because it's, it's a very I guess a large part of it's a rural area. Maybe that yeah. that affects things. I'm yeah. Not sure that, if... Do you see that in your work at all? Well, no, because I was gonna say, of... but it's a percentage of population, so that shouldn't. Oh, I guess it wouldn't matter, right? Yeah, yeah it shouldn't matter. Yeah. I think. I mean, yeah. honestly, it has a lot to do with policies. It also, frankly, has to do with whether or not the hospitals there actually report to credit agencies, which not all of them do. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So this is a particularly hard game. Yeah. This is challenging. <laughs> There's some selection bias in the That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, all right. Well, the last one. So, Kristen, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and South Dakota. Well, I already know Pennsylvania. Oklahoma. How do you know Pennsylvania? Because that was in the yeah, other that one. Was, you it was in the first before. question. Oh, did I already do that one? No, it's just Pennsylvania was in there. Oh, oh, I put it. Oh, it's in there twice. Yeah. Okay, but that's okay. okay Oklahoma, right. Pennsylvania. <laughs> do you and remember, though, what I it do, was? I do, it was 10. Gosh. <laughs> all right, all right. So Oklahoma and South Dakota then. All right. Oh, and South Dakota was yeah, in a different did. one. Yeah, he did do that one. Uh, oh, I screwed this up. That's all right. Okay, but I don't remember South Dakota. <laughs> so give me the numbers. Oklahoma. Four, four, 10, and 21. Four, 10, and 21. Yeah. So four was South Dakota, 10 was Pennsylvania. So 21 is Oklahoma. Oklahoma. You got yep. it. Yeah, Oklahoma is an average of $3,292 of, of medical debt. Um, so what's going on in the South? I think it's the, the, med, uh, the, the, the Medicaid, Medicaid expansion, expansion. Right? Yep, it did exactly right. Medicaid expansion Do you know a couple other... Are there any what other are there any other big factors like that 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 really oh, obviously contribute to this? I mean, poverty rates, right? Like the yeah. more more people are poorer. Um, uh, I think also uh, just in general, the hospital policies, if they have good financial assistance policies, a lot of places are increasingly focused on that and trying to get mm. hospitals to um, have ro more robust financial assistance policies. And again, even the hospitals themselves or, you know, other providers or even the debt collectors, like if they actually put it on people's credit reports or not, that right. has a big, that has a lot to do with it. Okay. Well, thank you for playing State of Debt with us. State <laughs> of Debt. All right, let's, let's take one more break and then we'll be right back and finish up. Hey, Kristen, guess what I did? What? I cooked. Whoa. Yeah, real food too. Hey, look at yeah. you. I made Cajun chicken sandwiches with roasted potato wedges in this smoky secret sauce. It was super good. You made that. Well, I did get help. Uh -huh. I used every plate. Uh, there it is. Yeah, but they plan the meals. They deliver pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. They it's, do make it easy. I, they do. And their meals are 50% cheaper than your average fast casual meals. It's super affordable. Cheaper than other meal kits also. Yeah. And with 26 tasty and affordable recipes that change every week, you always have something different you could cook. There's 15 minutes or less dinners, uh, oven-free recipes, mm -hmm. a ton of options. I'm a big fan of not having 
having to do as much work, but still getting a good result. Yeah. And now you can get $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49KKH. Again, get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and enter code 49KKH. All right, we are back with Allison Sesso, President and CEO of RIP Medical Debt, and we are going to take a look at some of our favorite medical stories sent in by the listeners. All right, so we have a story today from Wanda. Wanda says, I was working in the recovery room in the late 1980s, which was adjacent to the operating room and preoperative areas. My friend Craig was a surgical tech and told me this gem of a story. The patients were brought down prior to surgery on their stretchers and put in the preoperative area. And at the time, they put a three by five card at the foot of the bed with instructions or information to get them ready for their surgery. This was the 1980s. Yeah. Index cards, index three by card. five index cards at the foot of the bed. Did they get them out of the card yeah. catalog? I don't maybe? Know. Uh, Craig approached a patient and said, sir, I'm going to get you ready for your surgery, which is going to involve me shaving around your anal area. Difficult situation there. Uh, mm -hmm. The patient agreed and Craig did the shave prep. Then Craig realized that the patient was there for knee surgery. <laughs> what? And the question in my mind has always been, what did that patient think we were going to do that needed us to shave his behind? Really? Well, and you why know, did they need to shave there his are, behind? There are some things that uh, make you think, you know, it's probably glad, it's probably a good thing we moved to an electronic medical record because yeah. I imagine something, someone probably wrote something very unintelligible un on the card. I oh, imagine okay. that's probably what I was, it was a little worried that someone <laughs> getting anal surgery oh my gosh. had their knee shaved. <laughs> Well, and did they much, charge them for that? That that yeah, was my question. Right? I, I go exactly. right to like, what was the bill on that? Did you get charged on that? Yeah, really. That's, that must that must be how you think about every single thing, right? <laughs> yeah, like, did they actually send him a bill on that? Because that's not okay. I have to imagine you probably asked for uh, itemized receipts on all of your medical. Uh, <laughs> do you know what your... I do? You know, one of the things I do is like I actually when I you're supposed to sign those those forms and the doctor like, cross things out and then I just like hand it back to them like like where it says like basically you're responsible no matter what I'm like no oh. I'm not. yeah oh man we can cross things out on I those didn't things even know I, that was an I, don't, I don't know I mean honestly the prep desk people like what I mean I I almost like like I'm always like a little yeah. like are they gonna call me out but they never do they don't even look at yeah. it they're wow. busy they, they, see right. these are the things I'm saying like people don't know their what their options are I would never have even thought you could <laughs> I do that recently because now doctors offices have these screens and you have to like sign mm. sometimes you so there's like no option to do that so then oh, I'm gonna yeah. take but when it's when it comes time to sign I just write no and then I submit which they also don't check. <laughs> Like that's your signature. Wow. No. So if it came back, I'd be like, I wrote no. <laughs> yeah. That's not my signature. Is that my right. signature? I did not agree to this. I'm sure that would also hold up in the court of law as well. Well, so. that's my question. I wonder if it I would. I have no idea. I have Who no knows, idea, but, but you, I'm you like, know what? Yeah, what? Why not? Doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't hurt. Yeah, I guess so. Well, um, we're we're going to let you go, but because uh, uh, you, I'm sure you have a thousand, you have a lot of debt to clear right now. So we're taking you away from that. But um, uh, is there anything you want people to know about? Want our listeners to know? Obviously, 
R.I.P. Yep. Medical Debt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, donate to R.I.P. Medical Debt. I, we really yes. do need as much support as possible. We did just issue a uh, a, a one in three series of, uh, that goes a little bit more in depth about the uh, issue of medical debt. It's called insurance alone. It's not enough, which you can find on our website. So that was in partnership right. with this great group, Neighborhood Family Trust. So if you're you know interested in these issues, um, I encourage you to. It's a very short issue brief. It's like three pages, something like that, that uh, you can take a look at. And I think RIP Medical Debt is also on on social media, so you can you know, check them out there. Yeah, Facebook. Yep. What's it called now? Not not Twitter. X. 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 And you are also on X at Allison yes. Sesso. Um, and so uh, thank you again for just for the work you're doing and the organization is doing because it's guy. It's like think of how many lives have been impacted by yeah. what you're doing. It really is. I can't wrap my head around. You know. 195 billion much less much less 9 billion like that's that's a just an enormous number over 7 million people have gotten letters from us so it's good that's amazing so people want to help you they can donate they can they can share check out your website anything else they can do lobbying assistance anything like that tell stories right tell Tell their stories talk about your issues of medical debt or your you know even Mm -hmm. if it's not debt the fact that you had to pay some ridiculous high amount of money and what you didn't be, what you weren't able to do because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, I feel like I understand a little bit more about medical debt. Yes. I had no idea that there was all the of these scope of things the involved. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, whole market. Yeah. And God, what a, what an awesome organization. I know. It's, a, it's such a, it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Just like taking the system that's already there. Right. And it, but just and turning it, it around. And, instead of, Yeah. Using it for good instead of evil. Instead right. of trying to, trying to, to, you know, rake people over the coals for, for just getting medical care. They're just taking that debt and buying and like paying it off. Yeah. And, uh, so, so everybody, if you're able to, please man. consider donating because that's how they are able to do that. For, uh, $1 donation. Yep. It wipes uh, out a hundred dollars of medical debt for someone. One hundred yeah. bucks. That's that's awesome. I guess that gives you a little insight into the the markups yeah. that are happening. Yeah, that's like that's like two units of insulin. I don't know. I have no idea, <laughs> but uh, uh, probably. Anyway, uh, it's uh, what a just a, a great thing that they're doing. So, and thank you for the stories as well. Uh, and let us know what you thought of the episode. Um, and you know, we we try not to do too many depressing topics. Uh, we've done a few in a row here. Yeah, I know. Uh, and so uh, maybe at some point we'll we'll get back to uh, the. There's really not a lot of lighthearted things about the U.S. healthcare system these days, but no. we'll 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 do our best uh, uh, to to not, you know, become too depressing. Well, you know, you have to laugh so you don't cry. So it's a big it's, part of it. Yeah. Well, let us know uh, what you think, or if you have any ideas of topics we could we could touch on, or any specialties you want to hear about, or any guests. We like to hear about those, too. Lots of ways to hit us up. Email us, knockknockhigh at human-content.com. Uh, we're on all the social media platforms. Just go to one and search us up. <laughs> Just make sure you're finding the real one. There are some imposters out there, so watch Ooh, out for those. There are some imposters. Yeah. Uh, then you can also hang out with our Human Content Podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. They got some great podcasts these yeah, days. Yeah, they really do. Uh, also, thanks to all the wonderful listeners leaving feedback, leaving uh, specifically the positive feedback. We like that 
more than any of the other we will accept constructive criticism we like that's that fine. too we'll sure accept that it too. helps us yeah, improve just we just makes, don't like insults just, yeah the insults make us feel bad we yeah. don't want to feel bad um if you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on youtube we can give you a shout out like undercover kc on apple said thanks for the beautiful dr mike inter dr mike natter interview yeah. i just finished watching it i am a fan of dr g the ophthalmologist who is just one of the most inspiring doctors. Dr. Natter sounds like a really great doctor. I'm very grateful for all the doctors that help us today. I am trying to become a surgeon, um, uh, a female Somali Muslim, so I am very determined to be it. Thanks, docs. Well, and good luck to you. I hope yes. that you achieve your dreams, uh, and um, thank you for those kind words. It's very, very thoughtful. We also are, have episodes of this podcast up on my YouTube channel every week at D Glock and Flecken. We also have a Patreon. Lots of uh, cool perks, bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies. Uh, we have a nice little community, a little growing community. We're huge. We're active <laughs> in it. We're there. We're, we're, You're we got huge. We, we, You're no, very we tall. We, I, physically, I am I'm quite tall. Uh, lanky. It's, it's all limbs. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with this. We have early ad-free episode access on Patreon, interactive Q&A live stream events, more of me talking about how dangly my limbs are. Did you have uh, some Baileys in your coffee this morning? What? What's going on here? No, I'm just feeling good. I don't know. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new member shout out to Jimmy W. Hi, Jimmy. Hello, Jimmy W. Welcome, Jimmy. And shout out to all the Jonathans, as always. Patrick, Lucia C., Sharon S., Omar, Edward K., Stephen G., Ross Box, Jonathan F., Marion W., Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C., Brianna L., Dr. J., Chaver W., Jonathan A., Leah D., K.L., Rachel L., and Ann P., a virtual head nod to you all. Patreon Roulette, random shout out to someone on the emergency medicine tier. Shout out to, I should say it as the emergency medicine. The emergency medicine doctor kind of talks like this. He's kind of like Kronk mm -hmm. from Emperor's Kronk. New Groove. Remember Kronk? Wow, that is a Kronk. deep cut. Yeah, that's how he kind of talks. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Jessica H. for being a emergency medicine patron. And to Kronk. And a Kronk. <laughs> thanks for listening. We are your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glockenflexens. Special thanks to our guest today, Allison Sesso. Our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Rob, Go Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brook. Editor and engineer, sorry, sorry, Rob. Editor and engineer is Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omer Binsby. To learn about Knock Knock High's program disclaimer, ethics, policies, submission, verification, licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms, you can go to glockandplugin.com. Does anybody, if you've gone to glockandplugin.com to, to read check those, those out. let us know. We want to know yeah. all about you and your life and the things you decide <laughs> to do with it. Reach out to us at knockknockhigh at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, or fun medical puns if you have to. Knock Knock High is a human content production. Hey, Kristen, let me tell you about Dax. Who's Dax? Yeah, Dax is... The Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience. They call it DAX. Like, kind of like the Cute. name. 
it's AI powered ambient technology. It sits in the exam room with you and does so much. Uh, most importantly, I think it helps the patient physician relationship. How so? Well, it's have you ever been in the room with your doctor and felt like they were more focused on the, the medical record system versus you? Yeah, like if I'm talking and they're looking at the screen and typing instead of looking yeah, at me. Yeah, we just have so much to do, so much documentation right. that it just makes our attentions pulled in different ways. But DAX, it captures all the relevant information and helps with your administrative burden and, and just allows us to talk with each other. I like that. Yeah. To learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience or DAX, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.